They've always said that the killing of our children in the womb was just a small, it's just a small portion of what we do. Really, it's about healthcare, and really, brethren, that's being exposed, isn't it? It's amazing, isn't it? It's anything but that. So, well, good evening. Good to have us all gathered together this evening. And if you would uh, take your Bibles in your hands this morning, uh, this, this evening, let's read uh, chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 11. And uh, may the Lord, uh, as we work down through, we've hit on some of this uh, previously, so we should be able to finish the chapter, Lord willing, this evening. So, these are, brother, the very words of God himself, the very uh, preserved words of God. Verse number three. And cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel uh, which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and all and the things that therein uh, are, and the earth and the things uh, that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be a time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go. And take the little book which is opened in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, and nations, and tongues, and kings. And so, uh, brethren, again, as uh, John is in the midst of this vision, it's very interesting here. We saw earlier this mighty angel that came down from heaven and uh, is declaring these things. And this evening, as we take up our text together, the Bible says there, John says in verse number three, that as a lion roars, John says there, the angel cried, and immediately seven claps of thunder. This stuff always amazes me, brethren, as we Consider the text. These seven claps of thunder replied and spoke in a language that John could understand. Now that's interesting when you consider our text and you think, okay, John's sitting there, he's going to write some stuff down, and yet these seven thunders clap in a language, again, that John can understand. And as he got ready to write down what they were saying, the Lord stopped him. Amen. Stopped him and told him to seal up those things which he had heard the thunder say. So the question becomes, as you ask, if you're like me and you're inquisitive mind, I'm sure, what did they say? Well, brethren, here's the good news. I don't know. Nobody knows. Only God knows. Amen. And so for us to sit here and calculate and try and figure out what uh, actually they said, it is an amazing thing when you consider this text because this is the only portion in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is what? It's designed to reveal. It's to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only portion. These words, whatever were said, were stricken from the biblical record. They are not allowed to be there. And the only portion in the book of Revelation that are sealed up. It's an amazing thing when you consider that. Whatever was said, and whoever said it, which I believe is we're going to look here, because, again, the Lord, he has a pattern, amen? There's a pattern of things we see in the Old Testament, pattern we see in the New Testament, things that God has done before. We've seen it again and again in the book of Revelation. So, this is stricken from the biblical record. We don't know exactly what was said, but I want you to turn with me tonight to the, to the book of Psalms. 
Look at Psalms chapter 29. And uh, this, of course, is known as the thunderstorm psalm. This is what it's known as in the Bible. And I want you to count with me this evening the number of times that you see the phrase, the voice of the Lord in the thunderstorm psalm. I want you to turn there with me, if you would. Psalms chapter 29. And again, keeping in mind, we don't know what was said. There's no reason to speculate because we do not know. God has kept that unto himself. And uh, if he chooses to reveal it, he will. Um, but at this point in human history, uh, nobody really knows what was said there. Look there, Psalm 29, again, this thunderstorm psalm. And count with me again the number of times that you see the phrase in this particular psalm, the voice of the Lord, who I believe is who this was speaking. And I believe this text is tied to it. Look at verse number one. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in beauty of holiness. I mean, what a glorious portion of scripture, amen, that we should worship the Lord. Now look at verse number three. How does it start? The voice of the Lord, that's number one, is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth, and the Lord is upon many waters. Look at verse number four. How does that start? The voice of the Lord, that's number two, amen, is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord, verse 5, breaketh uh, the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. Look at verse number 6. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord, number 5. That's the fifth time now that this uh, particular portion of, uh, of, of this scripture is uh, divided flames of fire. Look at verse number 8. The voice of the Lord, number 6, shaketh the wilderness. And the Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Look at verse 9. This is number 7, the voice of the Lord. So we see here in the thunderstorm psalm that seven times the Lord's voice thunders. And so uh, I believe, and many scholars believe, that this is the Lord speaking in the book of Revelation. What was said, we don't know again, but we do know that there's this pattern. Seven in the book of Revelation represents what? Completeness. It represents completeness and holiness and goodness to God. And so we see here in this particular psalm, the voice of the Lord maketh the hinds calf and discovered the four... Uh, the forest, and his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Look at verse 10. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. And so, again, as we look at our text this evening, in uh, whatever was uttered was perfect. And again, as I said, our religious affections are drawn to the, to the biblical truth, brethren, that this is the only portion in the book of Revelation where the revelation is not revealed. It's an amazing, stunning thing when you consider that as John is writing this down and the Lord just stops him and says, that will not be put down anywhere, no biblical record, no nothing for anyone to know except the Lord himself. And of course, John in the Revelation heard it, but we don't know what it was biblically. And so I thought that was very interesting as we bring that point out. Now look what happens here. Uh, he stopped from writing what the thunders are saying. And uh, look at here at verses 5 and 6. Look what happens there, Revelation chapter 10. So he's stopped, verses 5 and 6. He cannot write them. The Bible says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the scene upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be no time, there should be time no longer. Well, in a solemn act, I'm sure many of you, if you're like me, you watch uh, many court cases. I am a court Nazi. I love to watch court cases. Uh, and even when someone takes, uh, when, they, when they interview them, they, they, they say what? They say, raise your right hand. Amen. This is what they do. Raise your right hand. 
Now, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Although they are they are removing God now, you don't want to be offensive to anybody. So you know, but I always say, uh, so help me God. And you can always tell when you're in a conservative state and you're watching a court case because they always have that in there. The liberal ones, not so much. Do you swear by yourself? No. This particular angel raises his right hand in a solemn act to tell before all of the world that yes. What I'm about to say, I'm swearing by him who lives forever, he who is the eternal king, that what God is going to do, he's going to bring to pass perfectly. What I'm going to say is absolutely perfectly. He says here that, uh, obviously, as you look at that, that the Lord himself has irrevocably set in motion all that is coming to pass. And again, we've seen this over and over again. Those of us who believe in the sovereignty of God, and God speaks, and God does, and God moves according to his perfect will... We understand that when God starts it, amen, there's no man, there's nothing that can stop it. And so irrevocably, the angel here is swearing that what God has started, what we've began, he's going to bring to the fulfillment of the ages and all of time, in his perfect timing and in his glorious past. There is no turning back. In fact, there's another time that's connected here with the book of Revelation where another prophet does the same thing. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel this evening. Daniel does the same thing. Only he includes not only his right, but his left hand. He's double swearing. What God is going to do is irrevocable, and he will bring it to pass. Look there at the book of Daniel, if you would, for just a moment with me. Daniel chapter 12. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us this evening. Daniel chapter 12. This is what's so glorious about the Bible. This is what's so amazing about Scripture. Because God, when he says something, it's written down for all of eternity. It's written down in such a way that God is going to bring it to pass, amen, as he is going to work it out. And brethren, it will never fail. That's the amazing thing. That's what I keep telling my children. That's what I keep teaching to my children. That's what you should teach to your children, that it's an amazing thing. When God's principles are in place, they're not going to change, amen? It's not going to happen. God said, look, when you do this, this is going to happen. When you reap this, you're going to sow this. When you sow that, you're going to reap this. It's just a biblical reality that never changes. And the angel's swearing here tonight by raising his right hand and saying, what God says will never change. It's irrevocable. And yes, brethren, it is true. And so Daniel, the prophet, does the same thing. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Again, as he um, raises his right and his left hand. Now look what he does here. Look at verse number 7. Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse number 7. And I heard a man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand up to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever. It shall be for a time, times and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be what? Finished. Again, he sweared that what God has said, he is going to bring to pass and he's going to what? He's going to finish it. And you'll notice in our text tonight that in one of the verses that we're going to look at, it has to do with the mystery of God being finished. And so again, this is God's promise. The angel's swearing. These guys swearing. He's raising his right and his left hand saying, what God started, he will finish irrevocably. Look what it says there in verse number eight. The Bible says there, if you would, and I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so again, brethren, this great mystery that we're going to look at this evening, this mystery that God has kept hidden divinely from the finite minds, is going to finally be revealed 
as we get through the book of Revelation. The angel swears that God's history of delay and long-suffering, brethren, listen, has come to an end. His long-suffering, his grace, all of these things that he's extended to men. Think of it, brethren, all of these millennia. God and his glorious graciousness. God and his long-suffering. God and his putting up with men, amen, and their continual disobedience and sinfulness. And that is going to be coming to an end. He is in his glorious timetable going to bring this final judgment that we are in the middle of here in our text this evening. Look back there now at Revelation chapter 10. Look at verse number 7. Again, this mystery, this thing that's going to be finished um, is going to be a most amazing thing to see God as he works it out perfectly according to his glorious timetable. And again, the Bible is just so knit together, so, so just intricately as God has these men write these things and record these things as we read them even now, several millennia later. Look there now at verses, if you will, verse number seven. He is swearing, verse number seven, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, and that's coming, this is what's going to happen, the mystery of God should be finished. It really is just bringing this thing to a climax, amen? So we finished. As he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Now again, brethren, let us define the word mystery in Scripture, okay? A lot of times when I was growing up, we, we watched this, this wacky cartoon, uh, Scooby, Scooby-Doo. Anybody remember it? Scooby, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah, but it was always some weird kind of mystery, amen? It was some kind of always connected somehow to ghosts and goblins. That's not what mysteries in the Bible are all about at all, amen? Mm -hmm. The mystery that, that Paul talks about, we're going to look at, the mystery here that John is writing about is not some dark and spooky thing whatsoever, but rather that which is divinely hid from the finite human understanding until, brethren, it is revealed divinely by God. We talked about it, we prayed about it tonight. Amen. When a man or a woman or a child is saved, it's amazing. The mystery of the gospel. Literally, brethren, it's called that in scripture. I mean, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel of Christ. It's a great mystery, not because it's dark and spooky. It's a great mystery because until God opens your eyes, until God takes those scales off, till God removes that part of stone, till God opens your understanding, it's a mystery to you. It is something that the finite mind cannot grasp or get a hold of. But once God reveals it, it is no longer a mystery. It is something then that the mind can comprehend. That's what we're talking about here tonight. This mystery that God is going to finish is not dark and spooky. It's just something that he has divinely hid from the finite mind of men until it is revealed by God himself. Look with me, if you would, for just a moment in the book of Amos. Again, this is very interesting. The Old Testament, how it keeps popping up. It continues to be intertwined. The things that God did in the Old Testament, God is doing again, uh, just sim simply repeating in a different dispensation of time, and in a different way, but it is still the same pattern. And so I want you to look there, if you would, with me to the book of Amos for just a moment. And I want you to listen to the terminology to those things that are very similar that we've been hearing in our ears for the last several weeks. There's a trumpet. 
It's an amazing thing, brother. There's a trumpet here. There's, if you will, there's the revealing of his secret things that God speaks. And he reveals it to the prophets, to the preachers. Those things, again, that they looked into. Remember, even Christ, remember what they said? These prophets are writing these things under the inspiration of God. They're seeing them, but they're not understanding them. That's what mystery is. This is it's a divine thing that God does. Look there at Amos chapter 3. Look at verse number 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Yeah. Amen. I wish I could take God's trumpet. I wish God would blow a trumpet. Amen. And men would be afraid. You would have no protests like coming this weekend. You wouldn't have that evil thing that's going on. God's turned them over. It's a stunning thing. But the Bible says, And shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people be not afraid? Shall there be evil in the city? The Lord hath not done it. Surely. The Lord God will do nothing but revealeth his secret. There it is, that mystery thing. He's revealing things. He's unveiling those things to his preachers as he sends them out. Unto his servants, the prophets. Again, the exact terminology that is used here in our text. It's the same thing. It's God in his divine revealing of his hidden things. This mystery that he kept secret from men. Look at verse 8. The lion hath roared. Again, there we're again. There's a connection. See, there's a trumpet. There's the secret things. There's the mystery. And then there's the lion. Just like tonight in our text. As a lion roareth, the angel said. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who then, who can but prophesy? Who then can preach? That's exactly what we see. This is John. This is his roll in the in the middle of all that look at another mystery in the bible again something that is not dark and spooky but simply been revealed in these last times look at romans chapter 11 just a couple of them here there are many the book of ephesians is full of the mystery that god speaks of and i preached on that a while back look at romans chapter 11 look at verse number 22 this is an amazing thing brethren did you know that you and i tonight as we are sitting in this dispensation of time as gentiles that it was a great mystery. The Jews looked at it. They were looking at it in the Old Testament, looking forward to the Gentiles being brought in. And what does God call it? It's a mystery. The fullness of the Gentiles coming in is a mystery. It's something that was hidden from them, and yet it is now being revealed by God himself. We are beneficiaries tonight, brethren, of the mysteries of God. Not dark and spooky, but something that's been revealed to, to the finite mind. Look there at Romans chapter 11. Look there, if you would, at verse 22, Romans chapter 11. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, and them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. If thou, uh, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Look at verse 25. Here's the mystery. This is the thing. Paul's writing under the inspiration of God to these men. And they're trying to understand what exactly is taking place, what's happening. We are part of that now, even as we are sitting here tonight. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. There it is again. Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened unto Israel, listen, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And again, brethren, this is a glorious part of God's plan from eternity past that he divinely kept hid. 
Amen. Until it was revealed by his preachers and revealed in them by the Holy Spirit of God that you and I tonight would be brought in in the church age into this glorious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that they were all looking for as God was leading them to write these things. Look at one more. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 3, just a couple of them here. Again, the definition of mystery. And again, this is what's so exciting about this. Because, again, this mystery that's hidden now is going to be revealed. And I, I can't wait until the Lord moves in his glorious, perfect timing to bring this to pass. Look there, if you would, at verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 3, again, Paul speaks on many occasions concerning the different mysteries that God is revealing. Look at verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, there it is again, that's a special work that God did in Paul's life. He's revealing this thing, this mystery that we're going to read about, that was hidden from the beginning of the foundation of the world. The mystery, look what he says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Again, this is the idea. This is what, I'm not trying to beat it in the horse. I'm just saying this is the biblical definition of a biblical mystery. Look what it says. Was not made known unto the sons of men. It is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Look at what is this mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Think of that, brethren. As Paul is preaching, as these men were preaching the gospel, as we're in the book of Acts, and you're seeing a total and utter rebellion against God's mystery, this glorious bringing in of the Gentiles, how they hated Christ, how they hate the Gentiles, how they will not. It's just stunning, isn't it? And so it really does bring us back to the understanding that as our children sit here tonight, as we teach them the Bible, as our grandkids sit here tonight, if we, we today we, we found out there's some real work to do, amen. As we're sitting here tonight, it is, again, we see the sovereignty of God in salvation, even in our own children. You preach to them, you teach them the Bible, you talk to them, you live a godly life in front of them. In all reality, brethren, yes, that is paving the road. But in all reality, it is a sovereign, miraculous work of God by which the children can see it, the children can sometimes hear it, and not even understand it. And it isn't until God reveals that to them that this mystery of the gospel becomes real and the Lord saves them. It's really quite, again, an amazing thing. In fact, he goes on there that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of, this, of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Look there at verse 9 quickly. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not being a dead horse. I'm just saying this is miraculous. This is something that God, in his own perfect timing, in his sovereign hand, he's going to reveal it. It's not dark and spooky. It's something hidden from the finite minds of men. But he will eventually, in the end, in his gloriousness and all that he's doing. The mystery in our text is indeed the unfolding of God's final, if you will, resolution of all things for all ages. How he's going to do that, we don't know exactly. We see a picture, kind of a roadmap of it, if you will. But ultimately, in the end, it is God 
the Lord God himself, who will divinely and miraculously reveal it to men as we continue on in our text this evening. Look back at Revelation chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 10. Revelation chapter 10. Look at verses 8 through 10. Look what the Bible says there. He's revealing this mystery. It's going to be finished. He's declared it out to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel. Remember, we looked at that. There's significance to that thing already being open. And the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel, and he said unto me, Give me the little book. And I, <clears throat> and he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall be in thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Well, brethren, here we go again as we look at our text. The voice that John had heard earlier in verse number 4, forbidding him to record anything. Hey, John, you're just, you're, 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 just a, you're, you're just an observer. You're just sitting here now. You're just observing. I'm not going to allow you to write anything. Now calls John from that place, amen, of being observed, to being an active participant in the vision. It's an amazing thing when he calls John now to that which he is supposed to be doing already. Amen. It's an amazing thing. Uh, go and take the little book, he tells him. Just go take it and eat it. Now, we all know, we've looked at this briefly, brethren, earlier. That the eating of the little book, as we have already looked at, symbolizes the absorbing, the taking in, if you will, and the assimilating of God's word. John finds, believe it or not, here, that what the angel said to him is absolutely true. That when he ate it, it was sweet as honey in his mouth, and when it got down into his belly, it was what? It became extremely bitter, just exactly as the Bible said it would. This, again, brother, is the dual nature. This is really studying, again, just the reality of God's word and what it does. This is the dual nature of God's word. As it discloses to the lost his judgment, and, of course, discloses his mercy to those to whom he has saved. In fact, we see this kind of this idea of, if you will, eating the word of God, as ingesting the word of God as a state, if you will, a type, a picture of actually studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, learning the Word of God. In fact, look what Job said concerning the Word of God. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. We take it in, we eat it, we drink it. I mean, Jesus used all sorts of uh, metaphors, if you will, concerning one absorbing the Word of God, one absorbing it and then assimilating it. And when we look at it, it is a stunning thing. And I told Brother Keith tonight, it's a such a practical uh, portion of scripture concerning that. When you figure that when you preach the word of God, those who are lost, it is death to them. Those who are going to be saved, those who are elect, it's life to them. It's an amazing thing. So you see this dual, if you will, uh, purpose in God's word. Look at Job chapter 23 real quickly, if you would. Let's just see again just a couple of glorious illustrations concerning the word of God. And we... We know this, but I think it's interesting. Job chapter 23. Look there, if you would, at verse number 11. Oh, brethren, that we would view God's word like this, that it would be this of a high priority in our own lives as we 
are living our daily lives. Look what it says there. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Again, the idea here as the prophet is taking in the word of God and he's going to preach the judgment of God to them, there is great bitterness. It's sweet coming in, but it's bitter going out because he knows the, the severity of the judgment of God that's coming. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15, just over a few books here. Jeremiah chapter 15. Look what Jeremiah says concerning the word of God. Again, this dual nature of the word of God. Judgment on one hand, mercy on the other, God's mercy. It's music to some ears, it's bitter to others. Look at the crowds. <laughs> Look at when you stand out there. We've been doing this for a couple of months now. Simply preaching the word of God. Look at the versatile response that you get from those. It is great, bitter of bitter for them to hear the word of God. And yet for those who are preaching it, it is a sweet, sweet thing. It's a sweet sound in the ears of those of us who are saved. Look at Jeremiah chapter 15. Look at what Jeremiah, remember his title, the weeping prophet, Jeremiah chapter 9. He wept and wept. He was a weeping prophet. Look there at verse number 16. He says there, thy words were found, and I did eat them. You see that there again? That's the metaphor. That is the taking in of God's word. He says, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Again, the metaphor is the taking in, the finding of God's word, the reading of God's word, the absorbing of God's word, and then, of course, the assimilating of God's word. This we see over and over again in Scripture. It is a glorious thing. Now, look at one more. We looked at this just a couple of weeks ago, but I want to read it again because I like hearing God's word. I like to hear it, amen? That's why I read it a lot. That's why we turn a lot, because I want us all to hear the word of God together. Look at Ezekiel. Again, a very familiar portion of scripture. But again, same description, same idea. It, <laughs> there, there's some differences here, but Ezekiel's to take it in. It's going to be sweet, and it's going to be bitter, and he was to go to Israel. John here is to go to all nations. We're going to look at that in all tongues. But he was directly sent to the nation of Israel, Ezekiel was, as we know. Look there at verse number one. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that what that, that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. There it is again, the eating, the taking in, and then the, the metaphor of speaking it out. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then I did eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee to the house of Israel, and speak with the words unto them. I speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, but to the house, excuse me, to the house of Israel. So again, it's the same truth, it's the same biblical concept, it's the same understanding that John is going to be doing here as we look towards the end of our text here this evening. So let me just close quickly with a practical thought. And again, this is, again, so needful for us today, so relevant for us today. All of us who have been saved, brethren, can certainly relate to what the Spirit of God is having John write tonight. All of us in this room, brethren, have lost friends and lost relatives and lost parents. Amen. And we can certainly relate to that portion of it as well. All of God's elect, if you're saved tonight and you have the Spirit of God living in you, 
I pray, as I do, that you're longing for the Lord Jesus Christ's return. The older I get and the more tired I get, the more I'm longing for his return. Amen? And I pray tonight, as the elect of God, if you're saved tonight, that you are longing not only for his return, but also as he establishes his millennial kingdom, as he comes and reigns in righteousness and in glory, as he spreads righteousness across, I pray that that is your heart's desire. It is mine. It really is. That's the sweetness of it all. That's the sweetness, knowing that what God is going to do, what he said he's going to do. But like Paul, and like all of us here this evening, I'm sure, we all have, again, as I said, lost friends and lost relatives. And when we sit and ponder for just a moment, brother, when we sit and ponder and think about for a moment that the wrath of God is abiding upon them, even as we speak this evening, that's bitter. That's bitter of bitter, brethren, understanding and knowing that we have friends and relatives and loved ones, and even these <laughs> protesters. Amen? Think about that for a moment. I have been doing some reading on some of the things, that, some of the signs that they had down there at the 4th of July thing. They had things written which you would not dare utter. It's so unholy, so blasphemous, so stunningly crazy, so evil. The evil of evils. Pictures of the Bible burning, saying naughty words to God himself. It's a stunning thing. You don't dare utter them. And yet here are these lost people, lost in their sin, dead in their sin. Here they are, just completely rebelling against God. Completely shaking their fist at him. Now, brethren, I don't know about you, but for me, as I think about the grace of God in all of that, Think of the grace of God in your life tonight. Think where you would be without it. Think if God wouldn't have sought you out. Think if he wouldn't have bestowed upon you his unmerited favor where you would be. That's bitter and sweet. And we see these people, these enemies of God. And brethren, you were too. I know we look at them. Oh, look how evil they are. All of us were enemies of God. Ungodly. Sinners. That's what Paul describes us as. And God bestowed his mercy and his grace upon us. It's a stunning thing. In fact, Paul, we really see that a lot in Paul's preaching. Look there, if you would, as we close at Romans chapter 9. This, of course, is God's dealing with Israel in the past. Look at Paul's sorrow that he had. Again, the sweetness of the gospel and the bitterness of understanding the judgment that's coming. This is what John knows because in verse 10, he's going to be told again that he's going to go prophesy. He's going to go preach to all the nations this judgment that's coming. And so he's fully aware of what's coming, the wrath of God there. Look at Romans chapter 9. Look at verse number 1. Again, the Israelites are the enemy of God here in our text. They're the ones who have rebelled against God. They've rejected Christ. They've rejected the Father. They've rejected, think of this for a moment, Jesus himself here working. They've rejected the Holy Spirit of God, telling Jesus he has the spirit of Beelzebub. Call. I mean, it's stunning. And so, yes, brethren, they are the enemies of God. They are God-haters. But look what Paul writes concerning them. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He has continual sorrow in his heart for the enemies 
of Christ. And this is really what John has experienced. That's what I'm saying. This is a very practical thing because we should be driven by the gospel, but we should also be driven by the understanding that is the preaching of the gospel to the enemies of God by which they are saved. And that's really what Paul is saying. I have continual sorrow in my heart for the nation of Israel, the people of my own stock, who have now become the enemies of God himself. Look at Romans chapter 10 and then we'll close. So tonight, if you notice, we... We are in chapter 11, which is God's future dealing with Israel. We're in chapter 9 here now. His prior, his, his dealing with them in the past, and now we come to, of course, the present time. And again, look at Paul's heart concerning those enemies of God. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end, he says, of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so again, brother, we can experience this. We feel these things, that John, as the Holy Spirit of God, is leading him to do these things. We feel these things, and we experience these things. It's okay to have feelings as a Christian. It's okay to experience some things as a Christian, amen, as long as the Word of God is leading you around by that experience and by that feeling. And surely, as John is being led by the Spirit of God, as Paul was being led by the Spirit of God, they tasted both the sweetness and the bitterness of the dual natures of the preaching of God's Word. And brethren, that's really where John is at tonight as we, as we conclude our text together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your holy Word. We thank you for that which will never change because you never change. And Father, this evening we have delved into a glorious text of Scripture. One that reveals so much. Reveals the heart of men. Reveals your mercy. It does reveal your long suffering, your goodness. And it reveals a time when that shall end. When all men will be held accountable. In your glorious timetable, the one that you have ordained from eternity past. It will as the angel raised his hand and swore by you. It has started and there's no turning back. And it will be finished exactly as you have declared it to be. So Father, we thank you for that solemn promise tonight that when we open the word and it says something to us, we know it's true, we know it's going to come to pass because you said it. And we thank you for that tonight. Father, we think again tonight of those who are lost, those, even those protesters, even as Brother Keith has certainly shared with some conversations that he's been having. We don't know. Who knows but God? Who his elect are? There might be two or three of them there. They don't even know it. But if they are there, it is through the preaching and through your revealing, your Holy Spirit's work, his regenerating work, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
that they will be regenerated as you, the Father, draw them unto yourself. They will be regenerated, and they will indeed look up and see the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who is, if they are saved, and they are the elect, is the propitiation for their sin. And Father, we again rejoice in all of that. Thank you that that is left up to you. We are just faithful servants of Christ. Preaching the gospel that has the power to save. That's all we are. Father, we thank you for that role that you've given us. And now, Lord, as we leave this place this evening, as we go to our workplace tomorrow, may we live Christ-like. May the world not only see but hear coming out of our mouth holy things concerning the one true God, the God of holy scripture, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask and pray these things now in the name of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.